Let's uh, have just a moment of prayer before the message. Lord God, you do go before us always. Help us through your word to trust you evermore, to love you evermore, to walk by faith wherever you lead, trusting in you no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, but by the way, for those who are uh, new to Joy Church, I do sermon notes for each and every sermon. Um, and I always put some out on the table. For those who are at home, they're also on the website. So if you didn't pick them up today and you want to get it, you can take the paper one or you can always download it on the website. Uh, if you go to the sermon tab, you'll be able to find where it says sermon notes. So my question is for you this morning is, does the word of God ever surprise you? I have to admit, I've been surprised by our study in the book of Ruth. I mean, there's a depth and breadth to this story that you don't get from just a casual reading. I mean, it has taken me a little bit by surprise, the depth and breadth of this story. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I've started to come to personally know Naomi and Ruth and all of the decisions they've had to make, and I can appreciate all the decisions and the struggles they've had during this time. I mean, we've seen firsthand the hardship and suffering, the bitterness and emptiness, but also the love and loyalty of family, of faith being born before our very eyes. And we've also seen how God's grace has reached out and not only protected, but provided for them. I mean, throughout this story, what we're seeing, we're seeing is this. We are seeing the hand of the Lord working in and through all of the circumstances in their life. And I don't know about you, but the Lord hasn't given me a letter that says, Pastor Clayton, this is exactly how your life is going to turn out. Anybody get a letter like that? I haven't got that, so I walk day by day too, not exactly knowing. And sometimes, sometimes in the middle of the journey, I actually get a glimpse of what the Lord's doing. And I got a bit of that this week, and I was like, oh, wow. Wow. But sometimes it's not till the whole story is over and maybe years have passed that we look backwards and we see, oh, that was the hand of the Lord. And I couldn't have predicted that ahead of time. And when you actually see the hand of the Lord at work in your lives, you're humbled, aren't you? And you know that the love of God is there for you. So today our theme is actually very simple, but it's profound. It is the loving kindness of our Redeemer, the loving kindness of our Redeemer. So let's continue on in our journey in the book of Ruth to be led, to be fed by his word. So chapter 2, starting with verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. So last week, we took a look at how uh, Ruth was so humbled 
that Boaz would just let her uh, glean in the field. And the grace, the favor that he gave to her by even just gleaning in the field humbled her. Do you remember? She actually fell down on her face and was so thankful for the grace of Boaz. But that was just the beginning of his grace. Because we're going to find that she was overfilled, overflowing with his grace. See, there's some things in the verses that I just read that are up on the screen that to our ear, to our mind in this day and age, just don't mean a whole lot because of the culture. So let's dig into this just a little bit here. Boaz invites her for a luncheon meal. That would have been the time for a luncheon meal by the worker, uh, with the workers. But inviting somebody, especially in that culture, to eat with them was more than just food. And you know this already. This carries through to this very day because when you invite somebody to eat with you, it's not just about filling their stomach, is it? It is about fellowship. It is about hospitality. It is about caring for one another. And that's what sharing a meal is, a sign of hospitality. And it is also a giving of grace. As a matter of fact, that's what we do during a meal, right? When you're with other believers anyway, what do you say before the meal? Grace, right? So Boaz did something very special with Ruth the Moabite. He invited her and to eat with him, to share with him that hospitality. And he says, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain. See, Boaz didn't take into account his standing in the culture, nor did he take into account Ruth's low standing as a Moabite, as a foreigner, as an alien, as a widower. He didn't take into that account at all. Rather, he brings her in and treats her as an honored guest. And he doesn't just give her dry bread. He says, take your bread and dip it into the wine. That wine from everything that I've studied would have been like a vinegar wine, which apparently was a very refreshing type of drink. So it was a refreshing thing, and I understand that they still have the same thing to this very day. It's something that is refreshing. And he himself, Boaz, serves Ruth. He passes her roasted grain. This is the hospitality where someone of greater standing became a servant to someone of lesser standing. Does that bring anyone to mind? Might that remind you of Christ Jesus, who of his great standing came to us of much lesser standing? and served us, and refreshed us, and renewed us. You see, grace, grace itself, doesn't just dole out drops a little bit at a time. True grace does this. True grace serves the other and gives to overflowing. Because she not only ate till she was satisfied, she had some left over. What does grace filled to overflowing remind you of? It might remind you of a particular psalm. 
23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. See, even in the midst of suffering and hardship, grace was extended to her, and it was an overflowing grace. But it doesn't even end there. There's even yet more grace to come. It says this, When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And, and also... Pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. So Boaz has already instructed, we had this last week, he's already instructed his young men not to touch her, not to lay a hand on her, to treat her as someone who is honored. So she can glean in the field. But not only that, he goes even more now. Not only can she glean in the field, but from the sheaves themselves. And not only the sheaves themselves, he says, take what you have worked for, young men, and give it to her. So she can take food from that. And he instructs them not to embarrass her, not to insult her, but treat her as someone who is honored. And so by the end of the day, she has an, about an ephah of barley. So what, what does that mean? Well, from what I've read, historians, they vary on the account, but it's anywhere from the low end about 25 pounds of a barley up to 50 pounds. I've heard mostly around 30 pounds. That's a lot of barley for one person at the end of the day. So do you remember, if you were here last week, we talked about your favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus. Yes, I, if you weren't here, that is your favorite book of the Bible, the Old Testament anyway. And there was the command of the Lord, right, to uh, leave grain in the field so that people could glean. Did Boaz fulfill that? Yes. Did he go above the law? Yes, he went so far above the law. Boaz, the grace that he extends goes far and beyond what the law demands. Does that also remind you of somebody else? You see, Boaz is a figure, a prefigure of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus not only fulfilled the law, he gave grace abounding above the law. He came to you and me, though we don't deserve it. He came to you and me, and through his body and his blood, he sets a table before us, right? Where that grace overflows. And it's hard to fathom that. This is why we had the gospel reading from John, verse 16 and 17, for from him, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. You and I are no longer under the law. We are now, for those who are in Christ Jesus, our very life, our very breath, the grace we receive overflows and is from our Lord and Savior. Now look, Ruth got such a bounty there that she had to tell somebody, if you got such a bounty of grace, wouldn't you want to tell somebody as well? So this is what she does. Verse 18, and she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Ruth probably had quite the deal carrying, you know, 30 pounds of grain plus the leftovers. So she comes home, she puts it on the table for Naomi, and I'm sure Naomi's eyes just went, whoa! Her jaw probably dropped a bit. She might have even gasped. Where did you get all this food? How did this bounty happen upon us? She was dumbfounded. And she talks, blessed be the man, right? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And see, in the account of Ruth here, this is the moment for Naomi. It is a change where she now, she now, I believe, starts to see the hand of the Lord at work in her life. Because remember, last week we talked about Naomi. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me, do you remember? Mara. And do you remember what Mara means? Bitter. Call me bitter. But now there's an exclamation from her that there's something different going on. Something different. The hand of the Lord at work. The grace of God at work. And what is that grace to do? It starts to melt her bitterness, doesn't it? Even it starts to perhaps even give some joy in her life. And I think that's what true grace does. Grace changes what is bitter into sweet joy. It changes what is suffering into praise. I would encourage you to go back and study Psalm 30. Psalm 30, verses 2 and 3, and then 10 through 12. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who have gone down to the pit. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The hand of the Lord turning bitterness to joy, turning suffering into praise. And now we get to this point in our account, which I think is a pitiful point, the fulcrum almost, as it were, regarding this particular account. So let's continue on here. Uh, 
And I'm going to read just a little bit beforehand. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So when Naomi talks about blessing, the blessing of Boaz, she uses the name of the Lord. And remember, if you were here last week, it is Yahweh. It is the covenantal name of God, of God who, when he makes a promise, keeps his, his, keeps his promise for all time. What is a covenant? A covenant is a sacred promise between two parties. And though you and I fail miserably, miserably at keeping the covenant, God is faithful, isn't he? And he keeps his promise. He keeps his covenant. And we're going to find that fleshed out in this phrase, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. That word kindness is a key word, not only in Ruth, but in all of Scripture. Kindness. Hesed or chesed, if you want to do the Hebrew pronunciation, is a very hard word to translate because it is so full and rich. So what is hesed? It's often translated as kindness, but it's more than kindness because you and I nowadays hear kindness just as uh, be nice, right? We, we downplay, downgrade that just to be nice. But it is about loving kindness or mercy or compassion or grace and love and faithfulness. There's so much more to it. And it, is all, it, 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 it really gets to this idea of a loyalty, a loyalty that moves or inspires one to take action that is compassionate, merciful, full in love. This is an important word in Scripture because it expresses an essential part of God's nature. Now, I've got three uh, different scripture readings that I would encourage you to go back and look over. When God appears to Moses to give the law, he describes himself as abounding with hesed. And in our translation, it comes to steadfast love. Listen what it says. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, hesed, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. That phrase, the steadfast love for thousands, is generally understood to be a thousand generations. For example, this is brought forth in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. 
Now, when we say a thousand generations, don't make that into a math problem. That's not a math problem. That's a way of saying how great his love is, his steadfast love. We would say thousands upon thousands or myriad of myriads, not a math problem. As a matter of fact, for the Lord, right? His steadfast love endures forever. It is eternal, which is good news for us. Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love communicates the loyalty, the faithfulness within the relationship. The covenant that God has made with you and me. And his steadfast love is associated with forgiveness of sin for those who repent. So Naomi exclaims, may he be blessed by Yahweh, the one who gave us his covenant, whose love is steadfast forever. He has not forsaken the living and the dead. So what does it mean by the living and the dead? Well, obviously, this means Naomi and Ruth, who are alive, right? Is that important? Yeah, it's critical. Because it says that God has not forsaken them. What is to forsake? It is to abandon, to disregard, to turn away from, right? The Lord has not forsaken them because of his steadfast love. And I want you to listen carefully. The Lord has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He cares for you. And his steadfast love endures forever. And you and I, whole, during these times, need to be reminded of that, don't we? Again and again and again, the Lord has not forgotten you. I would encourage you to read Psalm 34. Here's verse 17 and 19 through 19. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He has not forgotten the living. He has not forgotten you who cry out in faith to him. And he has not forgotten the dead. So how are we to understand that? Well, in this case, it would be Elimelech and his sons. And the Lord has promised to carry through and carry on the name of Elimelech and carry out the lineage. But I think there's a great, uh, an application as well. I think the application is that God, Yahweh, in his covenant, will carry his promise all the way through to those thousand generations, even though the thousand generations have passed away. He has not forgotten his promises through that. So he's not forgotten his promises through uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 
and Moses and David. And though man dies, the Lord's promise carries on throughout. He has not, not forgotten the promises he made to those who are dead, even though they have passed from this world. Can you see, I hope you can start to understand why this is a really important part in the book of Ruth. Now, there's one other part here that is crucial for us. It's, uh, Naomi says, this man is a close relative of ours, our Redeemer. And uh, in the King James, talks about kin or kinsman. So Boaz is the kinsman Redeemer. So what does it mean to be a Redeemer? Well, in the Old Testament... I'm not going to go into all of this, but in the Old Testament, there's about four or five things that are associated with a redeemer. It is a blood relative who takes care of another relative in need. And if they are impoverished, they help them with that. If they are so impoverished, they are in slavery, indentured servant slavery, to be able to pay off what they owe the kinsman can redeem them out of that slavery. The kinsman will also avenge any particular murder that has taken place against one of the relatives. So Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Again, does this sound like any redeemer that you know? Who is Christ Jesus? He, he is our kinsman. By his blood, he shed his blood for us to take us out of death to life, out of slavery to sin, to freedom in him. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He is our kinsman, Redeemer. And he does this, why? Because of his loving kindness, his steadfast love, the chesed that he has for each one of you. Now we're going to go more later on in chapter four, specifically about being a redeemer. But for now, I want you to understand the loving kindness, the steadfast love of our redeemer who has not forgotten the living or the dead. And understand that this is Christ Jesus. Boaz is a figure of Christ Jesus who has come to us in the fullness of grace, grace upon grace. So, this morning, a couple questions for you to ponder, to meditate over throughout the week. In what ways has the Lord been gracious to you? I mean, look back. Think about how the hand of the Lord has been at work in your life. In what ways have you received the Lord's hesed, his steadfast love? And ponder this week, what does it mean that Jesus has redeemed you? Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your steadfast love for us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, enliven our hearts, guide us so that we ever sing your praises. Thank you 
in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. 